we do just want to come and worship you this morning. We pray that as Dave brings the word, that you'll give us soft and open hearts to hear what it is that you have to say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for that, Steph. Um, and Barry, great. It's just great to worship together, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I hope, I hope as we're singing, as we're gathering together today, there is that real sense um, that we're worshipping a holy God, that we're in the presence of God together, because uh, what a great thing that is. <clears throat> All right. Um, so for those who are joining with us today or uh, those who are joining online, uh, we're in Colossians and we've been going through this series. And can I encourage you uh, to actually read through Colossians as many times as you can over this period of uh, doing this series because there's so much nourishment in this, this continual picture and retelling and from a different angle and a different facet, uh, the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ. There's something in it. I've found as I've been doing this week after week that I'm getting so much out of this and feeling so kind of full of the Spirit just from digging into this and reminding myself again and again of the enormity of Christ and what's actually taken place for me in his death and resurrection. So can I encourage you to do that as we continue on in the series? But to get us into it today, um, I just want to tell you a couple of stories. Uh, a bit sad, but uh, I think it'll help us understand a little bit of what Paul is getting out in this next section, uh, which is Colossians uh, 2 uh, from about verse 20, and we're going to go through to Colossians 3 verse 4. So if you've got a Bible there and you want to grab that, open it up or get it on your phone or something, um, then you can kind of have a look at this and look at the passages uh, the stuff around it as well. But anyway, let me tell you, uh, when I first became a Christian, I was involved uh, with a church, a little church, and uh, they had an interim pastor there, a guy in his early 70s who'd come out of retirement to help the church uh, while they were looking for the next pastor, an absolutely fantastic guy. Um, but this was in the early 80s, right? So the guy, he'd been born just kind of in the middle of the First World War, uh, lived through the Second World War. Uh, his kind of Christian faith and his theological training uh, had very much been framed and set by the holiness movement uh, as he'd kind of go th gone through his life. And so as he kind of presented and preached and encouraged the church, the things that made a really good Christian from his worldview was uh, if you go to church twice on Sunday, that was the really committed Christians, um, the, the true believers, uh, and you went on uh, Wednesday night as well to the Bible study, which he led about an hour of like really serious in-depth Bible study, uh, and then you, uh, you didn't uh, drink or you didn't smoke and you definitely didn't swear ever, uh, you didn't go to the movies, uh, unless it was G-rated and very, very safe. Uh, you don't watch TV because you never know what's going to turn up on the screen. Uh, and you keep the Sabbath holy. You don't do anything on the Sunday except for worshipping God and a few other little things. You can gather with your family, of course, but you wouldn't go playing sport or anything like that. Um, that would be a sign that you don't respect God and the holy day of the Sabbath. And, and so here, yeah, that's kind of framework. And, and as a new believer, I kind of thought, oh, yeah, well, that, that all makes sense to me. Um, but unfortunately, uh, and this sense of that's what it meant to be a Christian and that what a good, that's what a good Christian does, uh, but it was all external stuff, all external symbols. Uh, and unfortunately, one of the deacons who was doing all those things, uh, you know, in my mind, I thought he was a really good, faithful, strong 
uh, mature Christian, man of God, and all that. But uh, it turned out, I found out a few years later, they'd actually been having an affair with someone at his workplace for years, um, doing all these external signs, you know. Uh, and so it was really quite sad when I... And, and that kind of made me rethink a few of these things as a new Christian, you know. What does it actually mean to be uh, a true believer? As, because I'm saying that because that's what he used to say, you know, the true believer. Um, that was one of his phrases. Uh, a great guy too, great, great man of God he was. Uh, and then a, a few years later when I was going to another church, uh, I got involved with this guy, a uh, young guy, you know, passionate evangelist, uh, pioneering type guy, uh, and he was constantly criticising uh, the middle class church. You know, this clean and, and everybody pretends they've got it all together, but we know they don't. Um, and all this stuff. And he says, you have to get down, you have to be in people's lives. This kind of staying away from the pub and staying away from movies and all that. He said, oh, that's hopeless. You'll never reach people doing that sort of stuff. You've got to get down with them. You've got to get into the mud and, and really get to know their lives. And to his credit, he... This guy was involved with some, you know, really messy lives with people and all sorts of drama and responding to that crises, phone calls at 2am, driving to pick someone up who'd had got into a fight at the pub, you know, all this sort of stuff. Uh, and, but he kept, his focus was on these external things. You've got to do these things if you're going to be a true Christian, a true follower of Jesus. Well, unfortunately, again, I found out, this is probably, that was about, 50, no, maybe 20 years ago um, when I was talking to this guy. But I found out, uh, probably about five years ago now, um, when I found out that he got divorced from his wife, um, that in actual fact, for decades, he'd been soliciting prostitutes. For decades, you know. And so it's kind of, again, that kind of shook me. I thought, what, you know, getting down there, being with people, uh, does it make you any more Christian than if you don't meet with people and you kind of keep yourself away from that sort of thing? It, it kind, of, kind of threw me. Um, and it reminded me again that Jesus is actually talking about something totally different when he's talking to the Pharisees and they're saying about the cleansing their hands and the ceremonial washing... And he says, it's not what goes into a person that makes them unclean, it's what's in their hearts. And so all this emphasis on external things kind of misses the point, kind of misses where Jesus is aiming, which is to capture our hearts, our passions, our desires for him and the kingdom. And I hope that this becomes a bit more clear as we go through this. So let's have a look at what Paul is saying here in Colossians, because I think those stories illustrate it perfectly. Let's have a look. I need my glasses to read this. All right, so this is from chapter 2, verse 20. It says this, Since you died with Christ to the elemental, elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules for which... Uh, these rules, which have to do with the things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have the appearance of wisdom and their self-imposed worship, their false humility and their lack, sorry, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. And so what's actually going on for this group of Christians that Paul is talking to here? And why is this story so important? Because we get this thing again. So 
what he's saying is they've been trying to be, they're, they're being led astray from Christ. They've been told by these other false teachers that what they've got to do is they've got to do special things. They've got to do these external things. Don't touch, don't taste, don't smell, don't be in these places. Uh, keep yourself away from those things. And Paul is actually saying, look, they don't have the power to actually transform your internal sensual indulgences. They don't have the power to transform your life. They're too thin. They're too shallow. They don't actually embrace the enormity of the kingdom of God. They're too focused on this world. Now, he's not saying all that just here. I'm just kind of letting you say that. Um, We're going to see that in a minute. But this whole thing of when we focus on these external things... They don't deliver the the thing that God wants to do in our lives to transform us and make us his people. What we actually see here, and the reason why they're so tempting and why the Colossian church is being taken away and how come we can get sucked into this as well. And like I said before, those, that first church I went to and that second guy I spent a fair bit of time with, I was convinced by both those things. Yeah, that's what I've got to be doing. I've got to be doing these things if I'm going to be a good Christian. You know? um, but there's something that's lacking in that. It's too thin. Uh, they have the appearance of wisdom. They sound right, uh, but they kind of appeal to our pride. And this is this thing about false worship or self-imposed worship uh, and this idea of they give us a false humility because it appeals to our pride because what we do is when we are doing those things, we can kind of look in and go, hey, I'm doing this. Hey, I'm getting it right. Hey, I'm okay, aren't I, God? And then suddenly it's not about what God's done for us, but it's about what we're doing. And so it appeals to our sense of pride that we are doing something to contribute to our salvation. And it also appeals to our insecurities because it appeals to wanting to belong and be part of something. And when people are telling you and everybody else seems to be saying exactly the same thing is we get focused on those external things so we can actually fit in with people. It kind of appeals to our internal insecurities. And that's why it's so difficult uh, to, to not get drawn into these things when you're part of a group of people who are all focused on these uh, external measures of what it means to be a Christian. And I had that same experience. Uh, another thing that came along was the uh, journaling. Does anyone remember the journaling? Well, I was doing this discipleship thing for 12 months uh, as, and I was only, I've been a Christian three or four years, uh, and it was actually really helpful to tell you the truth, but uh, let me explain the whole story. I got up at five o'clock every morning so that I could do this hour, this hour of Bible reading, journaling, and Bible memory verses to kind of get them into your head. And I thought, oh, this is great. And I was doing so well at this. And then I'd meet with this guy for prayer once a week for an hour, and we'd pray together uh, for an hour every week. But, you know, as I... And I was getting tired and tired because I wasn't going to bed till like 11.30, 12 o'clock at night. And getting up at 5 a.m., I'm getting tired and tired. And I was getting grumpier and grumpier. And you know what the realisation of this was? was when my brother said to me, if that's what it is to be a Christian, I don't want anything to do with it. Because he could just see I was getting tired and cranky and grumpy because I was doing it in my strength, trying to do all these things to say, I'm getting it right. And so it is tempting to get sucked into these things. And that's why Paul is spending you know, so much time within this whole book of Colossians, or the first part, looking at this on several different angles and facets. But let's have a look at this next part. Because what Paul wants to do, and what 
the whole book is trying to do is get us to see the mystery of Christ and being in Christ. Because there's something in that. All right? When we focus on the external, it's too thin. It's too shallow. It doesn't have the power to transform lives. There's something much bigger in the enormity of the kingdom that actually we need to access and get into to see that real transformation taking place in our lives. And that's what Paul's trying to get at when we see from chapter 2 earlier in the verse, in this chapter, where he's saying, I want people to know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom. All the treasures of what you think you're going to get in doing other things are actually found in Christ, not in those external things. Now, I'm not saying that any of those, those things are unhelpful. They are very often, often very helpful, but they don't have the power to transform lives. Let's have a look and see what Paul is saying is actually the thing we need to be doing. Let's have a look. So this is how we get into chapter 3. So it says this, Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Now, this is absolutely brilliant. Um, and I have so enjoyed looking into this this week and just mulling it over and over and over. It's one of these things that you just get so full here, almost, I start laughing. I'm going, this is unbelievable. How incredible is this? And let, let me explain it. And you, hopefully you can see some of this as well. I've had all week to be thinking about it, but let's have a look. So what Paul is doing here, he's actually saying, don't focus on the, the external things. Lift your hearts and lift your minds to the heavens where Christ is seated. Right? It's a getting yourself out of this world and entering into the enormity of the kingdom of God and of heaven and the enormity of Christ, entering into that, into that space. So not only is this a kind of mental thing, uh, but it's also, uh, in reality, we can be present there. This is one of the mysteries of being in Christ. And this is where this incredible thing starts to take place. Now, what does Jesus tell us in, or not Jesus, what does um, Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, tell us about uh, being able to enter into the throne room? It says, enter into the throne room boldly um, and receive mercy and grace in your time of need. Now, there's a, a sense we struggle with this, right, in the Western world. Because we've been so secularized and we don't even know it, um, we feel like there's like a five-foot brick wall between us and the spiritual realm, right? There is a solid break between the material and the spiritual world. But in Paul's world, there was a very thin and liminal world that was porous and God was interacting in the world all the time and they recognised that. And they've got these things, all the scriptures that talk about the, the angels coming and going and about God being involved and about people hearing from God and seeing God and seeing all sorts of things happening. All right? We in the West have kind of somehow lost that and our secularised world which says that there's only a closed system, you know, there's a material, mechanical world, a deist picture of the world, uh, and somehow spiritual stuff is way, way far off. But it's not. 
The kingdom of God is present. What does Jesus say? The kingdom of God is near. It's right here. And we can access that. We can set our hearts, which is our passions, our desires, our dreams, our hopes. We can set them in heaven and focused on heaven. And our minds is our will, our decisions, the, re- the things we do and the decisions we make based on having our minds focused on heaven. And we can be present there. What an incredible resource that is to us. What an incredible transformation moment that is to be in the kingdom of God, in the presence of God, having mercy and grace ministered to you in that moment. And that's why it's so great to worship together. I don't know if you, sometimes when I'm worshiping and we're singing those songs, that sense of I'm just, God's just lifting me up that from Isaiah, you know, you'll be lifted up on eagle's wings. It's just wonderful. And it's a resource that we kind of miss out on that will transform us and make us the people of God and change us. So that's one thing that Paul's doing at that time. But he's also doing something as well, which we pick up, which is really closely connected to that. If we go back um, to verse 20, when it says, Since then you died with Christ, the elemental, elemental spiritual force of this world. Why as if you still belong to this world, do you submit to it? And so the second thing Paul is doing here in this sense of setting our hearts and our minds on Christ is also saying, where do I belong? So, you know, earlier I said the thing about we are the working on the external things plays into our insecurity about where we belong. Paul is actually addressing that in here and saying, where do you belong? We belong in heaven. That's our home. That's the place where we will finally be resting. That's where we we will be with God forever. So don't work and live as if this is the only thing. It's not. It's only a tiny fraction. It's too small. It's too shallow. The kingdom of God is enormous. And Paul is inviting us to join in with that and belong in that place and be part of that place. Because we are dead to this world. I'll get to that in a minute. All right. I'll get ahead of myself. All right. So that's the second thing Paul's doing. He's inviting us to actually see ourselves as belonging to the eternal, to the spiritual, not just the material. And those things interact uh, in a, almost a, an indistinguishable way in the kingdom of God. Then he does another thing here. Let's go to verse 3. And I, I love what's going on. All right. So he says, for you died. Now, we know that nobody's died, right? He's talking to people who are alive, but just hang in there. You died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Christ who, uh, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him. So what Paul actually does here is another brilliant move that we find really difficult to actually enter into. Again, our Western world, right, we, we had think of time as linear, And everything around us forces us in that direction. But it's not necessarily true. That's not necessarily the reality of the world. All right? Um, Think about that for a minute. All right? No, I won't go there. All right. Let's stick with this. So what Paul is doing is he's taking the past, the present, and the future, and he's pulling them all together at the same time. He's saying, you are in Christ. Your idea that somehow you are deficient now and you need to do these things to appease God doesn't connect with the kingdom of God and all of time being compressed into every single moment because 
God is infinite. God can actually see all of the future, all of the past, everything right now. So for him, the reality is we are perfect in Christ right now. And that's not a fiction. That's not just some sort of thing where we're taking the past and putting it here. In the kingdom of God, it is really happening right now. Now, you have to conceptualize of time a little bit differently. But that's not so hard when you start thinking of the infinity of the kingdom of God. Very different, very different way of seeing the world. And it's hard for us because we, again, get focused on the material, external things. But this is enormous. And Paul is inviting us into this. And the second thing that he's doing at the same time as pulling all those things together is because we are in Christ. Now, you've got to kind of, again, imagine you are being drawn in. Each single one of us is being drawn into Christ. If you can picture that thing of you are enveloped, you're completely consumed. Any, the only thing God can see is Jesus. And you, when Christ died, you were there with him. And when Christ was raised from the dead, you were there with him. You were being raised to life. And when God sees Christ as perfect and holy, he sees you as perfect and holy. You don't need to do these external things to please God, to make God right with you. Christ has done all that. You don't have to get sucked into these things. It's already been done for you. And so Paul is doing this amazing thing. Um, And I want us to kind of see this and enter into it with Paul. That sense, he's pulling He's pulling down the enormity, the infinity of the kingdom of God, and he's appropriating it to his life, and he's trying to get the Colossians to see exactly the same thing. And he wants us to do it as well, that we can embrace this enormity and pull it in, because that is a big enough thing to transform your life. That's a big enough power to make a difference, to transform you and the world we're in. That is the kingdom of God. Because, what did Paul already tell us um, in a couple of verses before? That in Christ you have been brought, sorry, in Christ you have been brought to fullness. You have everything. The fullness of God is in you. And we can actually appropriate that now in our lives and live out of that abundance. So it's not about what we can do to kind of make up the gaps. It's about what God's done in us, so out of the overflow of that abundance, we can live this free, you know, love, blessing, uh, all the things that you'd want to be doing, we can do it out of the abundance that God has done in us. Because when Christ, who is your life, and that's the key thing here, seeing ourselves as being in Christ and his life We are appropriating what Christ has done for us in our life. And it's out of that abundance that we start to actually serve and bless others. And it's not about trying to fill up what we're lacking. It's about giving out of what we already have. And that is big enough. That is a thing that can sustain you and transform you in trying to do the right thing and be the people of God. All those things I said before are not bad things. But they're too thin, they're too shallow to actually bring transformation in your life. You need the enormity of Christ to do that. Yeah, yeah, amen. Good on you, Kathy. All right, I hope someone else is excited down the front here, yeah. <laughs> so what does Paul say then? Because the reality is, and this is, the, the, this is what I want to encourage people to do, is this sense of... We are presented holy and without blemish before God 
don't get drawn in to the shoulds, oughts, musts as a way of trying to please God, as a way of trying to make your place in a community. You already have those things. When we're needy, we actually pass on that need to others. But when we're full of God's grace and abundance, then we suddenly start to bring transformation to us and to those around us. So as Paul was trying to get the Colossians to kind of recognize and do, that's what I want to encourage us all here this morning, to live our lives in Christ, rooted and built up in him, because that's where the overflow of thankfulness comes. That's where the joy and the transformation comes. So this week, can I give you a couple of things to do as you go through the week? Whenever you feel like somehow, you know, you're not enough, you're not good enough, you're not doing enough, and I, and I know for lots of people, I, I often have that sense, you know, like, oh, I should be doing this, I should be doing that. But every time you have one of those thoughts, can I encourage you at that moment to pull in the enormity of uh, heaven and the kingdom of God into the present moment and appropriate the fact that you are in Christ, that whatever you think you're lacking, you actually already have. It's there. Just take hold of it and own it and let God fill you up with that thing. And then out of that abundance, maybe then some of those things you th thought you ought to do, that which become guilt-driven and shame-driven, start to become things you do out of love. And isn't that what Jesus is trying to get us to do? Love our neighbours as ourselves, to be full of that, to love rather than doing things to get. So can I encourage you, whatever it is this week, Whenever you feel that sense of lack, to actually draw in the kingdom of God and draw close to God and get filled up again with this. So let me pray. Father God, I want to thank you again uh, for Colossians, the book of Colossians, the people at Colossae, and what Paul is doing here, Father, and how you are building your kingdom and how as you ministered to people, their lives were transformed. And Father, I pray that for us as well. That as we seek you, everyone in this room wants to serve you, wants to please you. Father, I just pray that you fill us with your spirit. Help us to recognize the enormity of the kingdom of God and draw it in, to pull it into our lives rather than holding it off and thinking somehow we've got to transform the world. We've got to make it the effort. We've got to be the ones who do everything. Father, you actually have done it all already. Help us to appropriate that in our lives and help us to be so full of love that people can just see Christ in us. And it's that point that they might be drawn to you, Father, that we might lift Christ up and you might draw all men to yourself. Yeah. Amen. Thank you too, Dave, for a really great and encouraging message this morning. Let me pray for us as we go out this week to love and serve God. Let's pray. Father God, we do want to draw closer to you. We want to live each day in the joy and peace of your presence with us. We also want to be available and faithful for all you have for us this week. We don't want to miss any opportunities that we have to serve you, to speak of you and to show your love to those around us. And we pray that is as we rejoice and receive the power that you have for us, 
as we just soak in your presence and your love and your grace. We pray that in that presence, in that power, in that love and grace, that we will naturally seek to know you more, love you more, and serve you and others more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you, everyone. Have a great week.